You know, uh, in Buell, I thought when I left, what would what would I be? What would I leave behind? Because we we do we leave tracks, and 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 I thought maybe you know it would be my passion for worship, or or maybe uh, you know I I started a trend in Buell. <laughs> But I, I, I pray that, that, that my legacy would be the love that I, I have for the church. And that doesn't come natural. That's a, an outgrowth of walking with Jesus and walking in his footsteps. Uh, that's being filled with the Spirit and God giving and in, in, imputing in us his love. Uh, when I, uh, I don't take this, uh, this honor... Uh, Lightly, it's it's great, uh, amazing honor to get up and talk to a men's group. Uh, so I I I thought about what I would teach, and I and I began to pray because that's what we should do, bring it before the Lord. And uh, I said, Lord, you know, give me a fresh, new, anointed message. And uh, I didn't hear the Lord speak, but I began to study. And the Lord said, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to show you. Because that's what he does. He didn't just pick 12 disciples and, and write in a book and say, this is how you do it, guys. This is, a, this is your, your, your guide. No, he, he took 12 disciples and he took them by the hand. He said, come, follow me. And... We, we see that all through the Scripture. And Jesus took them where they didn't want to go. That's so important. Because they never would have gone to Samaria. They never would have went to Matthew's house. And in fact, when the, the, the scribes and Pharisees were asking, Why does your teacher eat? And drink with tax collectors and sinners. They were going like, I don't know. We don't like this either. And, and the Lord began to show me. He says, Fritz, I'm going to show you. And he totally changed what I planned to teach because from the beginning of the week, I, there's a, a man in our church that... Uh, he was taken to the hospital. I began to worry about him because I hadn't seen him in church for two weeks. He's at Floyd, and he's like 90 years old, and, and he lives right across the street from the church. And it's quite a testimony in itself. Uh, the Lord pointed him out. He was sitting out in front of his house, and, uh, and several of us went across the street. And, and uh, first we waved at him, and he waved back. And I thought, the Lord said, go, go talk to him. Go talk to him. So I went over, and, and he poured out his heart. He said, I lost my wife. I'm all alone. I said, well, come to church. Come. See. Come fellowship with us. And sure enough, I didn't think that he would ever show up, but that he was walking with his cane across the street with his Bible and under his arm. And I thought, wow, Floyd's coming. 
Well, I hadn't seen Floyd in several weeks, so I kept on banging on his door and banging on his door, and I'm worried about Floyd because he's all alone and he, his wife passed away. So I took a business card and I slipped it in his door. And I, I wrote my home phone number on there so in big letters. So if he went through his door, he would have to find my card. And his, uh, his son's wife, his sister-in-law, called me and said, Floyd's in the hospital. And I went, really, I appreciate you calling because I was just worried and worried that Floyd's over there by himself and uh, there's no way the doors are locked and I can't check on him. And, and she goes, yeah, I think he would really appreciate your visit. And I said, I certainly will. I'll be over there to visit. And... Uh, I went in to, uh, to, to visit Floyd, and, and uh, I noticed he didn't have anything. He really looked depressed, but he brightened up when he seen my face. And I said, Floyd, can I, can I pray with you? I don't like going to hospitals. We don't like to do that. But God has called us to do the hard things. You know, the problem in the churches is, is, is that 95% of our ministry happens between... Be, within those four walls of the church. We have all of our Bible studies and we, we raise up and we have discipleship and all of these things are so essential. They're important. But the ministry really, what Jesus did, the example He set before us is He went and He walked in love. He lived it out. He went into the highways and byways and He was an example. And I, I noticed... Floyd didn't have his Bible. So I said, Floyd, could I get you a Bible? He goes, I would really like that. So I went and got him a big print Bible. But, you know, they're bulky. They're big. And I just thought, well, he's probably not going to read it. He's really weak and not doing well. I met, went Monday. You know, I'm kind of running late. And, and, and I thought, no, you're going to go visit Floyd. So I pulled in. And I just happened to grab my Bible out of the front seat of my, my truck there. And, uh, and I went in. Sure enough, as I'm walking down the hall, there's people that I know from my church in, in the hospital rooms. Pastor Fritz. So I find myself going to this room and, and, and praying with this person. And, uh, and, and I see another person down the hall. But I get to Floyd and I walk into the room and he's beaming because... Pastor Fritz caught him reading his Bible. He's proud. He's looking and he's going through the Psalms. I said, wow, Floyd, can I sit down with you and, and study? So I sat down with Floyd and, and I'm going, uh, we're going through Psalm 23 because I thought that would, it would give me a really chance. I would have no problem stumbling over, over that and we could really, something he could comprehend and grab a hold of. The, you know, the story of the shepherd, you know, leading us. And he was being blessed. But the nurse was coming in and she was making his bed. And she was listening to what we were studying. And she interrupts the study and she goes, are you a pastor or something? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor or something. I'm, I'm Floyd's pastor. And, uh, and she goes, yeah, I haven't been to my church in two years. My family says I've lost my faith. Well, she, she's interjecting. I'm not asking any questions, but she begins to talk. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I bet your church misses you. 
And, and I, I reach into my wallet and I say, you know, I would really love you to come and visit us. Uh, and she stops me immediately and stops what I'm doing. She goes, me and God. And I could tell her lips are quivering and she's, she's really upset. And she goes, me and God are not in a good place right now. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, she takes a chair and she slides it over. And she sits in front of Floyd and me as we got our Bibles open, you know, studying. And she begins to pour out her heart. And tears are running down her face as she's explaining how a stranger broke into her house and shot her husband in front of her and her kids. Then he proceeded to take the gun and shoot himself. And she goes, my family, the support I get from my family is that they said I should get over it. And I feel God hates me. Why would He allow this to happen in front of my kids and take my husband away? And I said, I don't know. But I know God does not hate you. And and I said, this is not an accident that you are sitting here in front of me today. And if there's anything I could say is God wants to tell you that He loves you. And that's all she could take. She, she was embarrassed. She was wailing and crying in front of me and she woke me making this bed. And, and she gets up and she walks out. And me and Floyd are looking at each other and, and I'm looking at Floyd and she, he goes, he's 90 years old, and he goes, what just happened? And I said, Floyd, she's brokenhearted. She lost her husband. I said, Floyd, can we pray for her? He goes, yeah. So me and Floyd grabs hand and we're praying for Nicole. And, and I'm thinking, God, this isn't how I plan my Monday morning. But see, that's through the week. God gave me opportunities to minister to Nicole every single day that I went into the hospital. See, that's what the disciples were taken by the hand, and they were taken to places that they didn't, they would have never have went had Jesus not taken them by the hand and led them. That's walking in love. He led by example. I, I love that. That's, it says that if you are in the Spirit... Walk in the Spirit. And you you put love there. If you are in love, you walk in love. See, that's what it is. If you're in love with Jesus, you love His sheep. And you are guided. And I can't help but think of Peter. You know, uh, Dave shared last night how, how Jesus called Peter into the ministry. And you got to picture it in your head because Peter is he had fished all night. He's not in a good mood. They caught nothing. So he's a little annoyed. He's listening, but he's really not a a part of the multitude that are crowding by the boat to hear Jesus. He's, He's mending his nets and cleaning them, and he's a little ticked off because he fished. He's hungry, tired. And Jesus gets in the boat. He's going, oh... Can, can you push it out a little from the, from the shore? Sure, sure, there you go. Can we go a little further, Peter? 
and they go out a little ways. And he says, you know, why don't you throw your net on the other side of the boat? And he begins to explain. Now, we fished all night and caught nothing. What Peter is telling Jesus is, I know boats. I know fishing. You're a teacher. I know and to keep you from any embarrassment at all, they're not biting. They're not coming. But nevertheless, I will do as you say. So he throws the net, and you know the story, catches so much that the nets begin to break, and, and John and James have to rush over and help. And Peter's response is he falls down before Jesus, and he says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. See, that's where we need to come to Jesus. That's where all of us came. But we soon depart. Because it wasn't long before Jesus, before Peter was telling Jesus how his ministry should go. When he began that I'm going to die on the cross, I'm going to be scourged and arrested. I'm going to be crucified. No, Peter rebuked him. He said, no, not, not so, Lord. Follow us, because we'll protect you. Uh-oh. That's not the way it goes. He says, get behind me, Satan. Uh-oh. See, that's the way we are. We begin on our knees. We begin in, in repentance, knowing that we're standing before Almighty God, and, and we know our state. But we need to remember that. Because Peter had to be reminded over and over who he was in the flesh. That he needed to abide in Jesus. And even though he taught them over and over that last week how to love and how, how love looked like and what, it, it, how they were to walk. What were they doing in the upper room? They were fighting. They were disputing amongst one another. Who would be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus had to show them by example. So what does Jesus do? He girds himself. He gets down and washes, washes the disciples' feet. And gets to Peter, and Peter says, No, no, Lord, you, you can't wash my feet. Peter, if you do not let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Well, wash me all over. You know the story. And... and, and Jesus says, no, it's only your feet that are dirty, Peter. And it wasn't soon after that that Jesus began to explain to them that uh, he would be crucified and that all of them would be scattered and they would all deny him before the night was through. And they're, oh, not me. But Peter took it one step further. He took the Lord aside and he said to, said to the Lord, Lord, you do great things, but you're not a very good picker of men. I, I know these guys. These shady. These other guys are shady. They, they probably are going to deny you and leave you. But me, me, I will not deny you, Lord. In fact, if need be, I will die for you. Oh, is that true? Is, is that so, Peter? 
Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. That must have just taken the breath out of Peter because Peter thought he knew himself. And it happened just as, exactly as the Lord had said. That crushed Peter. He wept. He, he saw Jesus eye to eye and it just crushed him. Peter would never be the same. He had to be humbled. And, uh, you know, he, he still, that didn't change the love that he had for Jesus. It didn't change at all. He really did have agape love because he felt unworthy to serve the Lord. So he says to the disciples, I'm going fishing. It's not just some fishing. They weren't grabbing a few fishing poles and going out for the afternoon for a, for a good fish. They, they were grabbing the nets and they got the boat out. I'm going serious fishing. And they fished all night. And they caught nothing. By morning, they're, they're not giving up. And they're depressed and they're tired. They smelled bad. Had nothing to eat. And it wasn't ex- at all as they, they remember it used to be. And you know the story. Jesus yelled, Hey guys! Got any fish? No. Not a one. Throw your nets on the other side. John and, and Peter, they look at each other and they're thinking, That sounds familiar. So they throw the net over. And sure enough, man, the fisher, it's so full they can't pull it into the boat. And, and, and John says, it is the Lord. Well, Peter, he doesn't wait for the fish to be brought in or he care less about the boat. He jumps in and he swims to Jesus. But what does he do when he gets to the shore? I, I, I got to tell you, I think that Peter's heart was to run to the Lord and grab him and hug him. But he was separated. Their, their union was broken. He didn't know what to do when he got to shore. So he, he looks at Jesus and is like, what do I do? You know, hi. <laughs> Jesus has got fish. See, what Jesus did was he went and got the disciples. He went after. That's what he models for you and I. We need to go after. We have to search for. It can't remain in the church building. We enter the mission field for the lost, that they would be found. So he tells them, bring some fish over, and they have a big breakfast, and they eat. And you know, know the story, and he says, Peter, come here. We need to restore this. We need to fix it, what's broken. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And we can speculate, is, he, is Jesus pointing to that big beautiful boat that he got out of storage and he took out there, his career, his fishing boat? Or did he pit, point at, at the great multitude, the 153 fish? 
Or did he point at the disciples? You know, the ones in the upper room who he, he, he said, but the truth is, it's all of them. It's everything. It is, doesn't say because it's anything that we put before Jesus. It's all and everything. He has to be our all in all. And he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. When you mess with sheep, you, get, you begin to smell like sheep. It's messy business. They're not very smart. We're not very smart. We're God's sheep, and He's our shepherd. We need to be led. We need to be taught. And then we need to be spirit-filled. He said to him again, Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. It's a humbled Peter. Again, the Lord says, do you love me, Peter? You know I love you, Lord. Now Peter's kind of grieved because he's asking him a second time, do you love me? He said, tend my sheep. See, that's more intimate. That's getting intimate with the sheep. That's taking care of it. That's making sure that they're attended to. That's feeding. That's going visiting them in hospitals, in nursing homes, in their homes, hearing that they're sick. The Spirit leads you and guides you to go where you don't want to go. That's taking care of the sheep. It's intimate. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Lord, you know everything about me. You know my thoughts before I think them, my actions before I do them. You know everything about me, Lord. Feed my lambs. See, that's, that's really, that's even more intimate. That's saying that there are kids too. There are babies. There are children We have a tendency to be like a Pharisee. To forget where we came from, the state that we were in. I want you to turn with me to uh, Matthew. Matthew 9, verse 9. And it says, As Jesus passed on from there... He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. See, Matthew wasn't just a tax collector. He was what they call a bottom feeder. Most tax collectors, they would hire runners to do their dirty work. Matthew pulled his limousine right there in the middle of town, set up his table, put his sign there on the table, and he did all the dirty work. He said, they hate me. I know they hate me. I'm getting all I can get. He was a rich man. But he was despised. Obviously, everyone would know Matthew. 
And here the disciples are saying, oh, he's talking to Matthew, of all people. Well, Matthew immediately gets up. Why? I'll tell you why. Because he heard of Jesus, the, the Messiah. Could this be the Messiah? He has cleansed lepers. The blind see. The lame, they walk. Could this be the Messiah? And down deep in the heart of Matthew said, I missed it. Have you ever felt like you've been so low that the Lord can never redeem you? See, that was Matthew. So he immediately jumped up, left his table, left the money, left everything, and followed Jesus. But what does Matthew do? It says, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table. We know from the other, other accounts, but he's sitting in Matthew's house. So, so Matthew invites him for a celebration in his own house. And it says, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners came to sit with him and his disciples. They're going, oh gosh. The house is filled. And look at what the Pharisees say. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because that's what he was called to do. But in the heart of the disciples is saying, I don't know. We don't like it here either. We don't understand. See, I didn't understand what was going on in the, ho- in the hospital. I left shaking because that was a divine moment. I knew God took me there that day because I was looking for every excuse I could think of. I was running late. I had things to do. And something told me, no, no excuses. Pull in. That's... Walking in love. That's walking with Jesus as he leads us. And he takes us sometimes to places that we don't want to go. And it says, and Jesus heard that. And he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus came to love and to save the lost. Not to build churches and start programs. And I'm not putting them down. I think that's neat. I think we need to really dig into the Word and we need to raise up the church. But it must not end there. It must extend out there. It, sometimes we become judgmental of the sick that comes into the church. Because we get comfortable in our little groups. Fishermen are over here. The hunters are over there. Castlefordians are over there. Don't want to get too close to them. They're, they're, they're unpredictable. You know what I'm talking about. But if you and I are going to be Jesus' hands and feet, we need to be first 
in the church. We need to be at the door greeting the newcomer as they come in. With a smile on our face, a handshake, a hug, with a, a pleasant greeting. Making sure that they know that they're recognized and welcomed. I tell you what, the Lord will bring them to His table. But at that point, you and I need to extend and walk in love. That we make sure that we love on them until we truly love them. Until they become our friends. Because I have noticed Phariseeism creeped up in my walk. When I see someone and I say, who's that sitting in my seat? Don't they know that? You know what I'm talking about. We do that. We, we pick out places and that's, that's our spot. That's where our family sits. Don't they have no respect? And you get a little closer. It's like, oh my goodness, is that alcohol or just really bad cologne? We become judgmental. We do. Turn with me to Luke 15. I hate when Phariseeism creeps up in my walk with Jesus. Because if I don't recognize it and fix it, the Lord will. He'll humble me. Verse 1 says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. See, you and I, if we're teaching the word, and we're going from word to word, chapter by chapter, and we're feeding them God's word, there's a hunger and a thirst for God's word. And they will come. But will they find Jesus there? Will they find the love of Christ? Because they'll come for a while and get the word. But if they're not feeling welcome and loved and acknowledged, they will leave. And a lot of our churches have become evolving doors. And let me tell you, the heart of Jesus is to go after, go after that lost sheep. Look what it says. And the, scribe, the Pharisees and the scribe complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Ooh! You've got to understand, in that culture, that was to eat with somebody, that was intimate. You became one with them. You related to them. You identified with that person. And that's what Jesus did. He went in to the dirty and the broken. When it says sinners, you can put anything behind that. You can put you and me there. Drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes, adulterers, heathens, and worst of all, tax collectors. They make sure they put that in there real clear. And tax collectors. They were the lowest of lows despised by the Jewish people. What tax collectors would do is not like tax collectors we have today. They would raise money for Rome, take from the Jewish people, and whatever they can get above and beyond that, yeah, that was theirs. 
They were hated. This is who Jesus chose to hang out with. And he spoke, so he spoke this parable to them saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine into the wilderness and go after that one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when it comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you what, I have noticed, even in our own church, and in the churches as a whole, we're satisfied with the 99. Because we know they just didn't fit in anyway. And, you know, you can't satisfy everybody. And there's going to be a newcomer come through the door anyway, and we're going to have 100 pretty soon. Look, our pews are full. We're okay. Shame on us. Because that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of the Father. And Jesus is pointing this out. Rejoice with me. That's the heart of our Father, our Heavenly Father. Rejoice with me, for that which was lost is found. See, we call lost many things in the church. Unsaved unbelievers, seekers. But Jesus calls them lost. He said to uh, Zacchaeus, for the Lord has come to find and to save that for which was lost. See, Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus found Zacchaeus hanging in a tree and went to Jericho, just to save one lost sinner. That was important to him. That was a lesson. That was taking the disciples where they did not want to go. Oh no, we're going to go into Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus had a bad reputation. And the Lord says, and I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 just persons who need no repentance. We all need repentance. But sometimes we get a brand new pair of shoes and a new shirt and, and we, we're using more deodorant than we used to. We're looking pretty good. And we forget, just like the disciples, where we came from. You know, down on our knees. And we forget what it meant to be lost. To be broken. God help us to, to nurture in us what it means to be lost. Because the lost are everywhere around us, gang. They're at our corner supermarket. They're in the car next to us giving us that funny finger. You know what I'm talking about. He's our next-door neighbor with the rolled-up sleeve drinking a beer, cussing out his kids. They're all around us. And that's where we're called to go. It's uncomfortable sometimes. And you begin to get in and, and 
bandaging and taking care of sheep, you begin to smell like broken sheep. And Jesus said, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and reach carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she called all of her friends together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I tell you what, there's a celebration in heaven when one person comes to the Lord. But they won't come unless we bring them. And they won't stay unless we love them as Christ loved them. Because it's those smelly, broken sinners that Christ died for, came for, went out and searched for. I love that it says, rejoice with me, for I have found, and what he's saying is, I have found a lost sinner. Do we have a heart like God? We have to ask ourselves, are we more like the Pharisees? Do we love like Jesus? Because that's what we're called to do. And that's what the Lord was showing me. Fritz, this is what I've called to do. I've called you to do the hard stuff. Not just sit in that building and study all day. You've got to get out into the community and you've got to reach out because the lost are everywhere. God, nurture in my heart what it means to be lost. Turn to Luke 18. Verse 9. Now Jesus is standing before a multitude and He's standing before Pharisees and Sadducees again. And He teaches this parable. And it says, He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, just extortioners, unjust adulterers, even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give talk. Ties of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not as so much raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And i got to ask you this morning, which one are you like in church on Sunday morning? Because sometimes we can think we got it all together. And we can forget what it was to be broken. See, let me tell you about Paul. Paul, as a Pharisee, he says, I was, concerning the law, spotless. 
without blame. But in the Spirit, in the light of Jesus Christ and seeing Him, He said, O wretched man that I am, who will save me? I see myself in light of Him. And I am humbled. I don't want the Lord to humble me. God has called us men to walk in the Spirit. To walk in love. But i got to tell you, after the Lord redeemed Peter, He said, now go wait for the promise of the Father. What you have heard this weekend, you cannot do in your flesh. It's so important that you get it, that we walk in the Spirit. Before we can love like Jesus, before we can learn from Jesus how to walk in love, we need to be filled with the Spirit. That we're guided and led to the lost that we're guided and led to the broken, to the hospitals, to the nursing homes, to the jail ministries, that we're filled, that God would open our eyes. Because I tell you what, the loss is all around us, but we're blind. I was humbled my first day when I retired from from my job because I was in line at Walmart. And I was in such a hurry. And and you know how we all do it. Which is the, the shortest line? Which can get me out of this place the quickest? And you pick. Oh, this one's got ten items. Going for it. And I got up to the... And I, I'm right next. And she's... The lady that's, that she's checking out, she pulls out a little bag out of her purse, cr- cracks it open. She begins to count out dimes. One dime, two dimes, three dimes. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. She counts out three dollars in dimes until her little purse is empty. She sticks it in her bag, pulls out another little purse. She starts to count out nickels. I'm <laughs> going, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Of all lines that I pick, and I'm just, at that, about that time you've got to go to the bathroom. It's like, oh, gosh. And I'm going, this is my luck. I pick these lines all the time. And she's counting out nickels. Ah, da, da. And the cashier has to tell it, well, you're still short $3. So he reaches in her purse again, pulls another bag. She has her welfare card. The cashier has to come around and show her how to run it through because she can't get it right. She's got it upside down. And, uh, and I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. She doesn't have anything on her card. Cashier says, you got nothing. Zero. And I'm standing there going, are you kidding me? But I got my hand in my pocket and I've got a, a roll of dollar bills. You know? I'm fiddling with it in my pocket. And the Lord begins to talk to me. Help her. Before I could respond, the lady behind me reaches over with a $20 bill and says, please, take it out of this. And I'm looking behind me and I'm looking at there and the Lord just... Oh! The Lord ministered to me and the lady behind me ministered to me. And the Lord said, this is why I called you to Jerome. 
to see I had a heart like a Pharisee. Gosh, you've got to be kidding me. And I turned around and I said to the lady, I said, that was very kind. And she goes, the Lord has been very kind to me. Oh. <laughs> stick, a, stick a dagger in my heart. I said, he certainly has. And I went out with my bag of goodies and I just was saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Because that's our heart most of the time. And the Lord was saying, wake up, man. This is why I brought you as a minister of Jerome. To minister to the lost. And here you are wearing a clean shirt and you're doing all right. And you've got gas in your tank and you're doing fine. And, and woohoo, you're on a new journey. But it's going to be a lot of work. But you've got to get over your Phariseeism. You've got to get over your judgmental attitude. And you've got to take and you've got to recognize. You've got to have spiritual eyes. You've got to pray when you get up in the morning and you go out. Lord, open my eyes to these opportunities that you give me because they're all around us. They're everywhere that we look. I'm touched because every single week I've been able to minister to Nicole at the hospital. Every single day. And, and, and I watched her heart get softer and softer. And I, we stood before the nursing, nursing station Thursday. And I went and I bought her a book. It's called, when, Where is God When It Hurts? And I thought, you know, all she could say is no. She could turn it down. And I said, Nicole, I hope you're not offended, but I bought you this. You've got to understand, before I gave her this book, she would see me over and over again walking down the hall. She would turn around and go the other way. She was running from God, not running from Fritz. She was angry. But when I came out of Floyd's room, she was standing right there. She couldn't avoid me. And I said, I hope you're not offended, Nicole. I bought you this. And she read it, and she goes... This isn't my problem. My problem is I prayed to him and he didn't respond. God hates me. And I said, no, Nicole. God does not hate you. He loves you. And this is in front of all the nurses and she's beginning to cry again. She's pouring out her heart there in the hallway in front of her. She goes, my kids are suffering. You don't know what I'm going through with my kids. My kids are hurting. I don't know how to respond to my kids. And I said, Nicole, you could call me anytime. I would love to help you. I'll do whatever I can. She goes, would you give me your phone number? I said, absolutely. I wrote down my phone number and I gave it to her. I said, call me anytime. I says, God loves you, Nicole. If you don't hear anything today... That was not an accident which happened in that room. I said, God led me there because I didn't want to come. And she goes, why didn't you want to come? I said, because I was running late and I don't like hospitals. But God led me there to touch you because Floyd was doing okay. That's what God has called you and I to do. 
I want you to turn to your Bibles and we'll end with this. I want you to turn to 1 John 1 3. Go to verse 16. This is the beloved John. He also became the beloved. But we all know the story about John. He was uh, called Sons of Thunder. When people didn't respond to his witness, he said, Call down fire from heaven, Lord. Let's smote them. John, that's not how we do our ministry. God changes us by His Spirit. Amen? And this is John speaking to the, to the church. Now they're His beloved children. And he says, By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, the brethren, it needs to begin in the church. See, we can't take it out into the streets until we love one another. See, Jesus knew that. That's why He said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Oh, Man, that's a hard calling, gang. That's impossible, in fact, unless we are filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, indwelled. But the brethren is also the lost sheep of God. It's those in the byways and the highways and places that the Lord leads us to go. The people that, are, that the Lord is bringing through our doors. They're his lost sheep. They're the brethren too. And he says, go down to verse 18. He says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth. Jesus is the truth. See, we cannot do anything unless we're abiding in the vine. We're abiding completely in Jesus. And he says, and shall assure our hearts before him. Now go down to verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. It needs to begin in the church. We cannot love the world, and be a shepherd unless we're good men in our household. Unless we love our children and love our wives as the Lord has called us to love in our households. And love our brethren. The bickering and the fighting and the backbiting has got to stop. It cannot exist in our church because we cannot give to the world what we do not possess in the church. We need to walk in that love. And Jesus said, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you show for one another. That's, that's powerful, gang. That's a, that's a true light on a hill. That's what the Lord has called us to do. Abide in His love. To walk in love. 
to learn daily. I know it's a walk. It's a, it's a learning experience. The Lord's going to take us all and teach us because He showed us by example. And what we need to do as leaders in our church, we need to show and teach by example. He says, don't be, don't be loved by word alone, but love by deed. Show. Walk in it. The Lord has laid on my heart to go after the lost sheep, those that fall on the wayside. Because I can be so satisfied with the 99 and I can justify why they left or why this person. But it's my responsibility, it's our responsibility to go out and reach out to those and say, we love you, is everything okay? I miss you. God, give us a heart like His. A heart that burns, a heart that's broken for the lost. That He would nurture in us a passion that none would be lost, that all would be saved. Let's all stand and pray. I hope you all know Jesus this morning. It needs to begin with that. Do we know Him? Are we in Him? Do we abide in Him? Are we born again? Because we can be religious and we can be a member of any church. But I tell you what, being a member of Calvary Chapel does not save you. Serving on the worship team or as an usher or in Sunday school does not save you. Jesus said, narrow is the way. Why is it so narrow? Because it's free. We cannot pay for it. We cannot work for it. It is by grace and grace alone that we are saved. Have you received His grace? See, it takes a bold step. If you would lift a hand this this morning... And say, I have not. Praise God, we're all saved. We all know Him. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank You, uh, Lord, for this opportunity this morning, this, this opportunity this weekend to, to uh, lock shields, Lord. Lord, to be lifted up, be filled, and be encouraged. I know there's a battle going on down at the bottom of the hill. Help us to recognize we have an enemy that does not want us to reach out to the lost. He will do everything in his power to stop us from discipling and raising up and reaching the lost in our communities, in our families. Lord, help us to be filled, empowered by your Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and walking in your righteousness. Lord, that we would walk in love as you loved us. Lord, uh, 
Remind us where we came from. Remind us that we came broken and on our knees. And that we need you every day, every moment. Help us to get over our Phariseeism, Lord. That we would love as you loved. That we would walk in that love. That we would show the world that we are truly born of you and belong to you. And that we're genuine lovers and children of the living God. Lord, uh, let this not be a moment on the mountain, Lord, but let us take this to our homes, to our families, to our churches. That we would be shepherds in our church and in our homes. We give you all glory and all praise. In Jesus' name, amen.